Hello, everyone, and welcome to HubSpot's Unconventional Business. A show about how Australian and New Zealand brands are growing and winning by putting the customer experience first. We're talking with leaders from our best homegrown brands about their journey, the decisions they made along the way, and their biggest learnings. I'm James Gilbert. And I'm Kat Warboys, and we'll be your hosts this season. Now let's get into the show. Hey, everyone, Kat here, and today's episode is slightly different. It's a live recording from Grow, HubSpot's flagship event in Australia and New Zealand. James caught up with Victoria Devine from She's on the Money, and we think you'll really like this one. Let's get into the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Unconventional Business Live at Grow. My name's James Gilbert, and I'll be hosting today's fireside chat. And today I'm joined by Victoria Devine, the CEO and founder of She's on the Money. Hey, Victoria, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. For those who haven't and for people like myself that don't fit uh, very neatly within your normal <laughs> audience, can you explain a little bit about She's on the Money? and, and Absolutely. Uh, of course I can. Um, so... For those of you who haven't met me, I'm Victoria Devine. Um, as James so lovely, if that's a word, introduced me, I am the founder of She's on the Money. Um, She's on the Money is a community of just under 200,000 people who all want to work towards financial freedom. Um, we have an online community. We have a podcast. Um, so She's on the Money, the podcast, which drops three times a week. And we have about a million followers each and or a million listeners each and every single month, which blows my mind. Um, I also have two other podcasts, The Property Playbook and The Business Bible, which are like offshoots of She's on the Money. Um, I also am the founder and director of Zella Wealth, which is my own wealth um, creation practice where I have a team of financial advisors and mortgage brokers that help millennials to create wealth. Um, yeah, that's that's what I do and what I get up to when I'm not um, on Zoom with you, James. That That is a lot. I'm surprised you, you even had the time to join us today. <laughs> that is a lot. It's a, I personally think money is one of the most interesting topics because people don't talk about it very much, but it impacts everything in your life, whether you want it to or not. And I Absolutely. think the word you touched on, financial independence, is a really interesting concept that as a subset of money, people don't even, you know, it's rarely mentioned, but actually uh, is a pretty important goal for a lot of people given how much money comes into their lives and and um, how much it impacts everything from, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's crazy because money impacts you in so many different ways. It's not just finance. It impacts you mentally, physically, spiritually. Like it impacts every single part of your life, whether you want it to or not, because at the end of the day, it's the thing that makes the world go round. It's the thing that's like access. Yeah. It's the thing that gives us freedom. Um, yet it seems to be one of the most taboo topics. Like they say, you should never talk about money, sex or politics. And unfortunately, on my podcast, we do all three of those topics. So for me, I think it's 
um, you know, it's been a really interesting journey because when I first started She's on the Money, um, it wasn't something that, you know, what it wasn't immediately a podcast, it wasn't immediately a community, it was actually a workshop that I ran for my financial advice practice called She's on the Money. And it was taboo at that point. It was, you know, kind of going into organisations and trying to break this mould of we don't talk about it, it's not something that we should, to now, you know, having 200,000 people that agree with me is crazy. So, yeah, you're right. But I think that we're heading in the right direction to open that conversation up and actually empower more people with the knowledge that I genuinely think we all deserve. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, your success really shows and whenever you chat to people one-on-one, it clearly shows there's a real appetite for this kind of information and this education. But why is it taboo? Like, I know that's probably a hard question to answer, but. Oh, if I'm being honest, I'm unsure. I I want it to be something that's not taboo. And, you know, growing up, it wasn't a topic that was off limits for my parents. They were very open and honest with me about money and what that meant. My dad's an accountant, so I guess that made a lot of sense. Um, They say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, don't they? Um, My dad's an accountant. Same same thing. Good people, great people. Um, (laughs) But I think it's one of those things that because it has historically created so much divide, it's not something that we talk about. So, you know, there was always historically a very big difference between the rich and the poor and it was always seen as that was the difference. So money was always the differentiating factor between, you know, kids being able to get a good education or not and being able to put good wholesome food on the table or not and I think that that's a very big difference between the rich and the poor because historically, um, you know, my background as a financial advisor has been in the high net wealth space. So that actually means that most of the clients I was dealing with had more than $10 million worth of investable funds, which to most of us is completely incomprehensible. But the thing that I found really interesting was that these families often talk about money in a more open, honest way because it was in abundance. It didn't actually ever have that stigma of, um, you know, they didn't want to avoid the topic because they didn't have that aversion that had been created with it. Whereas I find that families who have experienced, um, you know, times when money was tight, it gives you that like knot in the bottom of your stomach that means you don't really want to talk about that topic. I think that you know, as I talk about this, maybe a lot of people are resonating going like, oh my gosh, yeah, like I do feel sick when I talk about money. And that is, you know, in my podcast and in my community, something I talk about a lot, because that's actually um, one of those factors that is a part of your money story. And that's to me something that I think is really important for you to understand about yourself. So like, what was your money story? How did you grow up around money? How do you think, feel, act and behave around it? What are your money values and what are your beliefs and where do they differentiate? How does that actually work? And I think that for a lot of people who maybe haven't talked about money before, that's a really good place to start because it's not me putting a budget in front of you and going, James, you need to start budgeting. It's more, where are your values at? Because your values are really reflective in your budget. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because as someone who also grew up son of an accountant and money was talked about and just took an interest in business and everything, I always thought about that element of it. But it's interesting as you get older and you get more like introspective on yourself and you're like uh, what drives you or not, I think it does raise your 
what would I call it? Like awareness, maybe awareness around like how you view money and how you use it as a tool to perhaps as an output of that psychology when you were growing up. You know, it might be, oh, I never felt like one of the rich kids at school. And so as soon as I can buy a fancy car, I'm going to do that. And it's like actually that, that action of buying the fancy car is more tied to possibly like an insecurity from your psychology as opposed to a financial plan that's going to give you what you ultimately want, which is presumably insecurity. Exactly. Um, And we see that a lot in our community and something that, you know, is, is often overlooked is that wealth is actually invisible. So there's a difference to me between rich and wealthy and wealth is having freedom of choice. Wealth is, you know, having enough money to make the decisions that make you happy and choose where you work and who you work for. And, you know, even if you want to work, whereas rich, rich is visible, rich is cars, it's shoes, it's, you know, fancy houses and big holidays. And although those things could be a part of your wealth creation strategy, we need to remember that wealth in exactly the same way as debt are both invisible but one harms us and one benefits us so I think that a lot of people who you know maybe have grown up where money wasn't in abundance feel as though they need these indicators to show themselves that they're not in that position anymore where in reality those indicators are actually putting them even further behind because more often than not they'll say okay great I'll get a car loan like I've always wanted that car never had it when I was growing up and the loan is the thing that will actually stunt them over the long term so I think you're absolutely on the right track (laughs) yeah it's interesting isn't it it feels like such an unfair trap that it's like yeah the signals of what you think is gonna project into the world what you felt like you were missing actually is the exact wrong thing to do a lot of the time like it's actually instead of maybe buying the dream house straight away you should buy commercial properties first to get more cash flow or something and then down the track buy cash or like similarly with the car it's like just delay it 10 years and then you can buy as many luxury cars as you want if you buy it now it's going to really hold you back oh Um, absolutely and there seems to be um you know, a lot of us will try and convince ourselves, but Victoria, I need a car to get work or to get from A to B. And you go, yeah, absolutely. But you don't need the $3,000 a month car loan. You absolutely don't need that. We could go get something that does exactly that for a price point that doesn't put you in significant debt. So it's all about the choices we make and what's actually within our cash flow. Like what can we actually genuinely afford while still putting future us first? How can we actually put future us in a position where they are never going to experience the lack of money that maybe put you in a position where you really wanted those cars and, you know, those items of, richness um so for me I think it's really important to differentiate between what that means and what it doesn't mean at the same time as really understanding why we make those things and that's where you know our money values and our money beliefs can actually be completely different so our money beliefs might be that money is not in abundance and that when you get it you really need to um save it and hoard it away you know don't take any risk because growing up we didn't actually have a lot of money so we needed to stash it away for a rainy day whereas maybe one of your values is actually creating wealth 
And if your belief is that money isn't in abundance and that you shouldn't take any risk and that your, you know, your value is to create wealth, well, you're going to run into a bit of trouble because, you know, you might want to invest, but you might never take the plunge because your underlying belief is that that's a really bad idea. So I think it's all about understanding the difference between what a value is and what a belief is because they can limit each other. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's almost as if the education, like there's two parts to this. There's understanding your psychology and then there's the education of what are the options of things you could do. Yeah. And I think traditionally people think like, oh, it's an education gap. Like people just don't know about these different things that they could be doing. Yeah. That's true. But it sounds like that is a way smaller part of the equation. Like a way bigger part is understand your psychology, understand your long-term goals and understand like what trade-offs you might need to make to ensure that you uh, dampen, I guess, unconscious outputs of your psychology and you and you really focus on what it is that's going to set you up for long-term Exactly. And I think that that's potentially where the success issues on the money has come from, because we talk about, you know, finance often. I'm not the first financial advisor to have a book. I'm not the first financial advisor to play in this space. And I absolutely have not reinvented any wheel when it comes to talking about the benefits of compound interest or saving or investing. Like these are topics that we've been talking about for quite literally centuries. Um, You know, one of my favourite books is called The Richest Man in Babylon. And that was from centuries ago and I think that it's really important to admit that but I think what we are marrying together is that psychology with the financial topics to create something where people actually resonate and they go that makes sense like budgeting was never a priority for me because I did have an aversion to it or it didn't make me feel good about myself or it just seemed like a boring admin task but really getting them to understand the empowerment behind it and what that's actually going to help them achieve and see what it can do over the long term is what we're about and I suppose that that's where you know I've been really lucky because my background before working in financial advice was actually in psychology I worked in organizational psych and um, I was silly enough to complete two psychology degrees before going and doing my MBA in finance so for me that was where I led, so I started into like just was wanting to have this impact but, you know, hadn't put my finger on exactly what that meant for me yet and working in orgs, I worked in a space called culture and engagement. So I was going into organisations talking about how to re-engage employees and, you know, increase work satisfaction and what a good culture looked like and I'd sit down with these people and they'd say to me, Victoria, like I get that you're trying to increase engagement but I'm just really off my game at the moment because the mortgage is weighing down on me. Or Victoria, I'm really, you know, out of the loop at the moment you know everything's everywhere because I found out my wife's pregnant and we didn't plan this yet and I'm just trying to work out what mat leave looks like it's just really stressful and I would run from those conversations because at that point in time I had a personal loan I was quite young and I had absolutely no understanding of how to have a conversation with somebody 20 years older than me being honest about their financial situation because that was not a situation I'd been in before so as I started learning more about finance I realized the impact it could have on me. I was like, fire out. How have I got this loan? Like, that's a bad thing because I'll end up in that situation, you know, 10, 20 years from now where 
I want to have a baby and I, I'm not able to afford that. Oh, my gosh. Like I think I started really comprehending what that meant and started talking to my friends about it and going, wow, like this could empower you. I can put my friends in a better position. And I've always been that annoying friend at breakfast that's like, James, you know what you've got to do? So <laughs> for me, that was really empowering. And I guess that's what took me into financial advice was knowing the impact I could have with the background and the knowledge that I had learned. I wouldn't say I was silly doing the psychology. I feel that. Oh, no, 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 absolutely yes. not. I think that I use those two degrees more than any other degree I've done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's true. And it's it's fascinating how much you see examples in the future of, like, people further down the track. Like, I know a good friend one time they were volunteering at a shelter and the person running it told them, they're like, you know, a lot of people here actually had decent jobs, but they were just living so on the knife's edge of paycheck to paycheck, lots of debt. And then through whatever circumstance, if they lost that paycheck, their world unraveled very, very fast. Yeah. And it and it made this person get so serious about their personal finances. You know, they dove into everything because they're like, oh, it's, again, so foundational. And I really, like you said, in 10, 20 years would hate to ever be at risk of being in this position. And that example really uh, drove home the importance to them and set them up on a much better path. And so, yeah, it's interesting. It's one of these things you can think about theoretically, but until you see the real world impact of not doing the right thing, I think yeah, it's... absolutely. And I think that um, having gone through COVID for, what, the last 18 months now, we're all in a position where we're actually seeing the impacts of not having emergency funds and people really struggling through that. And there's a statistic out there, and don't quote me on this, you guys can look it up or I'll post it on my social media later today, that 60% of Australians do not have access to $1,000 in an emergency, which to me terrifies me. And that's not to say they don't have a credit card that they could, you know, put that emergency expense on, but they do not have the cash savings if a $1,000 emergency happened. And I think that that to me is something I would love to change because I know how empowering having an emergency fund is so that I can, you know, deal with any emergency costs that come up, but also say no to any situation I get myself in that I don't want to be in anymore, whether that's a relationship. And, you know, at this point I'm employed by myself, but if I was in an employment situation, I didn't want to be there anymore. I would have the freedom to get out of that. Or even, I know nowadays is probably a really bad example, but if I was overseas and needed to get home, just knowing I have access to funds that get me out of any situation makes me feel really secure and I know it does the same thing for my community. But yeah. your example just before about the homeless um, shelter is really relevant and it's something that really upsets me as well because the largest increasing demographic of people becoming homeless especially here in Australia is actually women in their late 50s and to me that is terrifying and it's really a reflective of exactly what you were saying they always had good jobs they had good families they might have gone through something they might not have a job at the moment they might have come out of a relationship they didn't want to be in anymore and they find themselves not able to fund putting roofs over their heads and to me that's heartbreaking and something that we really need to work on so that you know it's not going to happen overnight 
but so that when hopefully I'm retiring and I'm in my 50s and 60s, the people in my demographic and the people in my community aren't experiencing that. And for me, I guess that's what motivates me to do She's on the Money and put out this information and give so much of it for free because to me it just it doesn't make sense that we live in such a beautiful first world country yet we we have so many people experiencing such poverty. Yeah, no, I agree completely. She's on the money. Its success has been immense, you know, over 5 million downloads, number one in your category. And it seems like what we've uncovered is it was really this combination of psychology plus financial advice was what people were craving. Were you, was that uh, apparent to you when you started the podcast or <laughs> no no so I told you before that she's on the money started off as a workshop so yeah. that was actually if we're being brutally honest I'd started this wealth business and I was like how am I James going to get clients what am I going to do I was like you know what genius I'm going to run workshops and I'm going to run them for the perfect demographic lawyers because I want lawyer clients so I started these she's on the money workshops and I go to law firms and present about superannuation and insurance and investing and saving and cash flow and these women after these sessions would have questions and they'd email me and ask like Victoria what about this or hey how do I do that and I loved it, but all the questions were the same. They were, you know, I'd do a workshop and I would expect the same influx of questions each and every single time. And I said to them, or I said to myself, really, like, how am I going to stop this from happening? Because there's such good conversations that I'm having, but we should be having them more openly. So I started a Facebook group and I was like, yeah, cool. If you've been to one of my workshops, join my Facebook group where we talk about money and, you know, I'll answer all your questions. And instead of answering the same thing, they could all join in. And so I did, and then I started getting messages of people saying, Victoria, oh, my sister didn't go to one of your workshops, but like, can she join? The information here is really valuable. And I go, oh yeah, the more the merrier, join. And it started getting a bit out of control. And I remember the day that I had 1,700 people in that group. And I was like, 1,700 people? Like, this is more people than I've, you know, met in my life. And for me, that was the point at which I asked them, what do you want from me? Like, how can I get you more information? Like, you guys are craving it. And they said, Victoria, we'd love you to do like a YouTube channel. I was like, oh, I don't have the confidence for that. Look at me now. Um, The audacity is very, very loud. Um, But I didn't have the confidence for video at that point in my life. And I said, what about a podcast? And I decided I would do a 12-part, one-season podcast of everything I thought that they should know. Because in my head, if I did that um, 12-episode series, people would just go back to it. So that was the first 12 episodes of She's on the Money and it just exploded. It became quite successful. We have now more than 150 episodes and we're now at three episodes a week. We've recently, 12 months ago, signed with ARN, which is the Australian Radio Network, to host us and, you know, we are the number one business podcast in Australia with a million downloads a month, which I never foresaw. Like I got into this because I wanted to be a financial advisor. I didn't realise I would become a podcaster and run that community, but I wouldn't change it. I adore it. Like it is, you know, I've got this beautiful team behind me, obviously, and she's on the money to make sure it all goes well and also in Zella. And, yeah, I just feel like we're having the impact I always set out to have. So those those first 12 episodes, were they far more um, on the advice as opposed to the psychology or did it? No, 
No, I've I've always really passionately believed about money stories and knowing that people should understand that before they start anything in the first episode of the first season is money stories. Oh. So it was always about people marrying those two things and understanding where they are today so that we can create a plan to get where they want to go because I'm a firm believer that if you do not know where you are standing today, even if I gave you a beautiful plan, you wouldn't be able to achieve it because you don't know what you're working with to begin with. So for me, it's really important to, I guess, set that baseline for everybody and that, you know, permeates through all of the content that we we put out there. But I think the second thing that makes She's on the Money um, quite special is the tone of voice that we carry. And, you know, I would say that it's very me. Like when you listen to the podcast and you meet me, you go, oh, this makes so much sense. Like that's Victoria through and through. And that's, I'm speaking to you like my friend. I'm speaking to you exactly like the smart person that you are because you are smart. You've never, ever been taught these topics though. So no one needs to distill it down or simplify it for you. They just need to start from scratch and talk to you like the real person that you are and I think that historically finance has been babied a little bit and people have tried to make it either a lot more confusing to make themselves look intelligent or they've dumbed it down so much that people feel like they're being spoon-fed and they don't like that so I think the fact that we have this tone of voice that is you know I know you because I am you and this is how I learned and this is what I learned and I'm just going to share that with you as if I was at brunch with one of my girlfriends teaching them that so I think that that is something that has been really important to me as well because I just want to share that information but I don't want you to think that I'm doing that because I don't think you're intelligent yeah yeah I don't think there's any podcast that's been successful without that raw authenticity of the host to the audience I think people have a pretty good filter if they feel like they're just getting generic information and they're not really getting true sense of what it's like um the the interesting thing with yours is you've got this very 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 strong community as well as a podcast like sometimes you see just one or the other and I think there's a lot of marketers watching today that are probably curious how to think about that. Like, is it the fact that you had this community first and that's why you saw a lot of success with the podcast early days? Or is it you've continued, like, how are they, how do they fuel each other? How are they independent? How, and how do you think about that? Yeah. So for me, I, you know, I didn't set out to do any of this. And I think that that, you know, is the happiest accident I've ever done. Um, but for me, it was community first. And I think that that's why we have continuing success is community remains first. Like they are my number one priority. They are who I turn to when I want to talk about what content they want next. I'm not loop like, and I hope that I never lose touch of who they are and what they need from me. And knowing that my first priority and my, the priority of my entire team, and they would say exactly these words, is serve our community first. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter who the advertiser is because obviously now She's on the Money is at this point where, you know, we generate revenue from um, from advertising that partners with our, our podcast. But um, we have a lot of parameters around who we won't work with and who we will work with. Um, and I think that, you know, holding our cards close to our chest and making sure that before we sign on with any any single sponsor, we always say, 
how does this benefit our community? And if we cannot come up with a good reason, we don't work with them. So I think it's really important that we maintain that, but also you know, keep in touch with them. Community, you know, community has been so important. It sounds like. Like I think I a lot of podcasts, podcasts without a community would be a bit of a one-way conversation where it sounds yeah. like your community gives you lots of feedback that helps you ensure the podcast stays relevant to the audience yeah. and gives you ideas of how it could. Yeah, and we, we're always asking them every year I run a census, so I ask them what they want from me next and what they are expecting to see and I want the good, the bad, the ugly. I want them to give me the bad feedback and the things about me and my community that annoy them so I can work on that. Um, so I think it's really important to be open on both sides. Like I don't just want positive feedback. I want areas that they think maybe we're lacking or we could grow in and just so that they can tell us, you know, how they're feeling about it because I think the thing that's different about the She's on the Money community is not just that we have it because a lot of people have a lot of followers on the internet. A lot of people have, you know, these large groups. It's that they're all so on the same page and so passionate about it and know that it's kind of a safe place to share their journey and share their story and, you know, they feel heard. And I think that that's the number one thing is, you know, them feeling heard and feel like it is for them and it's not for us and, you know, we could make a lot of more money, James, if I actually just took on every sponsorship that came our way. Um, but I would prefer to have a podcast without a sponsor than to have the wrong one. Yeah, I think I think you know back to how we kicked off this conversation of really a lot of money thoughts and even growing uh, anything is about how do you balance the long term and the short term. And I think yeah. the approach you're taking is far more durable in its growth for what you're creating, where you are getting a lot of feedback, you are making sure what you put out adds a lot of value to the community that has given you this. And I think staying true to that means that your success will likely be far more durable than if, as you said, you just simply tried to monetize it to its maximum straight away. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I have a lot of faith. You've, you've done an amazing job so far. Uh, I think we are about out of time. So I want to thank you so much for joining us. I love this conversation. I think it's one that people should be having a lot more of. So, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us today and, and enlightening us on this. Thank you so much for having me, James. It was an absolute honour. Thanks for tuning in to HubSpot's Unconventional Business Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love you to subscribe and tell your friends, co-workers, you know what, tell whoever. Before we go, a shout out to our mates over at Audio Technica for bringing us today's epic sound quality. Whether you're after an awesome pair of headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on or a mic to start your own, Audio Technica has you covered. Head to audio-technica.com.au to check them out.